If you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to continue through uh, 2 Timothy. And, uh, and with that, um, let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would come and you would uh, speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, we give you place right here to take control. Lord, as we open up your word, allow your word to bring challenge, to instruct us, to give us life, Lord, to, to exhort, to expose sin that needs to be exposed, to convict our hearts, Lord, where we need conviction, and to, to change us and mold us, Lord, into to the men and women you want us to be. And so tonight, Lord, we give you way and we ask that you would come and you would speak through the power of your word tonight. We give you place and honor here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've probably heard the saying, um, cheer up because things could get worse, right? Well, for the apostle Paul, he cheered up and things got worse. Um, Remember that Paul the Apostle, when he wrote this letter, 2 Timothy, he's, he's sitting in the prison cell in Rome. He's awaiting his sentence of death by Caesar, Nero, a man that was very evil and, and killed many Christians, and yet Paul is waiting for the sentence. Meanwhile, he, he writes this letter to Timothy, his last letter to be written, a warning, a challenge to Timothy about the difficult days ahead. You see, Timothy was like a son to Paul. In fact, Paul called him a son in the faith. He, he discipled young Timothy and now instructing him to continue in the faith, to continue in the things that he'd already taught him, to continue in the word, to continue in the calling that he has called him to, called him into. With complete joy in his heart, Paul encourages Timothy to, to be on guard, to be watchful, to be, to be knowing what's coming. It's clear that Paul has a deep concern for, for this young Timothy, the son in the faith, and a deep concern for the church in Ephesus. In fact, if you remember, Paul planted this church in Ephesus. He was, he was there for uh, approximately two years, a little bit more than two years, and he, he had equipped these, these people. He had raised up elders and, and spoken into their life and, and pushed them into ministry and called them in into, uh, into that ministry that they were maybe a little bit reluctant to, to step into. And now he's writing this to Timothy, the, the pastor of this church, and he, he's telling him, Timothy, continue on. Well, in this chapter, Paul gives us a vivid description of a godless culture living in the last days. Paul earlier in 1 Timothy goes on to describe this godless culture in chapter 4 verse 1. 
where it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Things that we've already studied earlier in in 1 Timothy. The Apostle Peter also addressed this godless culture of the last days. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Knowing knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Paul is being very clear to Timothy, and he's being very clear to us tonight, that our effectiveness as believers, as Christians, lies in avoiding the traps of this godless culture in the last days. Now look with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, but now, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. Now, for Timothy, the last days had already begun. For Paul had instructed him, to beware of such men, even among him at that time. And we will see him instructing this in in the verses uh, later on in this chapter. But we also know that this term, this last days term, also refers to the, the nearing of Christ's second coming. As we heard this past weekend, remember when Eric was teaching out of the Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13, where, where, where we hear these, these troubled times, where it says, take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when You hear the wars and rumors of wars. Do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles, and these are the beginnings of sorrows. And then it jumps down to verse 12 in that same chapter of Mark chapter 13 and it says now brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death so it's not a good picture of what we're reading and and you and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end shall be saved so this is the the last days that Paul is speaking about. And, and we, we, we read on in this chapter about this same godless culture. Look at, look at uh, verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, Now look, uh, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, betrayers, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul is saying 
in the, in the last days, they will have replaced their love. They'll have replaced their love. Look at how many times the word lovers is used in these first four verses. It says lovers of self, lovers of themselves, or lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. And as we look around in our society, that is what we are. A lot of our world is, is consumed with those three things. Yet, in the Bible, it speaks that God is a lover himself. God is a lover of his creation, his people. He longs for them. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So even though mankind had turned their back on God, God still pursued mankind, winning them at the cross. Thank God, right? Winning our hearts at the cross. You see, he is a lover of our hearts. God's a lover of our hearts. And desires that all, should be, all would be saved. He desires relationship with us. Yet, in the last days, the world will, be, will not be lovers of God. They will choose to put their love elsewhere. They will be lovers of themselves. They will be boasters. They will be proud and arrogant, filled with pride. Isn't that what we see? And even in our nation, as we, as we watched the, the, the election happen, it was just all about pride. And as we look around in our society, it's, it's about me and what I want and what I can get. I watch our culture fall in love with themselves. Self-help books, self-esteem classes. One of the most popular magazines out today is Self. They're going to come out with a new magazine called Me, and it'll have like a mirror on the front. You'll be able to look at yourself, you know? Like, it, it, that's what we're coming to. It's like, that's all we really want. So we see this progression, the signs of, of the last days, lovers of themselves. And that's where it begins. And then it goes on, and it says, lovers of money, they, they will become covetous. Love, money will become their passion, their, their goal in life. Maybe it's your goal. They're all-consuming desire. They will want more and more stuff and more things. We are a, 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 a nation of consumerism. We consume and consume things. Then, then we give way to those things to control our lives, right? Right? We, we allow those things to control us and then, they, then, then, we, then we get in debt by all the things that we buy because we're trying to replace the thing that now needs to be better than the thing that we thought was perfect. 
And, and, we, and we're in this vicious cycle. And, and yet God's saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to become lovers of, of money. And debt then increases, and then we live to pay off debt. And then money, cons- money rules us. Next is the lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I have to say, there's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasure, right? I mean, in fact, God created pleasure. He created it. He was the instigator of pleasure. I went to Prague uh, this past summer, and, and if you've never been to Prague, it, it is such a beautiful city. It's, it's so uh, enamoring. It, it's, it's romantic, and, and it's got all this. It's old and, 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 and unique, and, and you're sitting there, and, and I, we, I, got, I had, to, had a chance to go out there and do a retreat for uh, the church uh, that, uh, that's been planted out there through our church. And, and it was such a blessing to be with the people, but I had a free day. And I said, oh, I can't wait to just, just sit uh, on the edge uh, of the river there and just, just take in just the beauty. And, and I, I fell asleep on the grass in, in this little park right next to the river. And, and uh, Luke uh, went with me, this guy here at the church went with me, and, and we were just enjoying ourselves. We just almost we kind of fell asleep and took a nap right there on the, on the grass. And it, we were just like, ah, oh, this is like heaven. This is, this is awesome. We were enjoying ourselves. It was pleasurable. One of the best places I love to go is the, is the beach. I love to hear the waves come in and go out and just enjoy the pleasure of what God's created. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Actually, it's good for us. It's good for us to rest and and take time and slow down. God created us to have pleasurable moments, to experience pleasure, to enjoy friendships and food. Oh, I love food. And in a good day at the beach or in the mountains and just enjoying pleasure. But you see, God made pleasure, yet the world has perverted it. God made us to enjoy all sorts of things. The problem is, is the love of pleasure rather than the love of God. God God created pleasure. Loving the created thing, though, is incorrect. See, we can love the created thing. We can love pleasure rather than loving the creator of the pleasure. Of the pleasure, Desiring pleasure, self-gratification, wanting more. Some of us live for the next vacation. Be careful. I have to tell you, it's sin when we begin to to. to Live in love, pleasure. That's what he's talking about. You see, a godless culture rejects the truth about God and who he is and instead chooses to worship themselves, worship material things, worship pleasure. Some of you have in your Bibles the cross-reference section in your Bible and and it's cross-references Romans chapter 1. 
because Romans chapter 1 talks about this godless culture. It says in Romans chapter 1 verse 24 and 5, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, the created thing, rather than the creator. Yet God's word tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first me, the word God says. Don't seek pleasure, though I've created it. Don't seek it, seek me. Seek my kingdom first. So let's look back in, at verse 2. It says, they will be disobedient to parents. Rebellious young people. We see this in the news all the time. We've seen it even just recently. Families destroyed because of disobedient youth. Disrespectful to, to parents. Did you know in the Old Testament that if you were disrespectful to your parents or disobedient to them, that you could be put to death for that? Is there any he youth here listening to this? Is this? You need to hear that. Disobedient to parents, unthankful. People that think they are entitled to something. Do you know how many lawsuits that are in our nation? There are more lawsuits in our nation than any other nation in the world. Why? Because we believe that we are entitled to something unthankful, unholy, filled with ungodliness, unloving, filled with hate, without love, unforgiving. We have a culture today that lives in bitterness, walks around in bitterness and unforgiveness, slanders without self-control. We have more people addicted to pornography in the world, not just the United States, in the world today than ever before. Why? Because self-control is out. There's no self-control. And now they're addicted. They can't, they can't stop. They can't, they can't keep self in control. Yet this is what God told us that this godless culture will be like. Brutal. We see the violence in our city rising. It's scary to me where it will go in our nation, in the world. Yet this is what God has told us will happen. Brutal. People just killing to kill have no value for life. Despisers of good or evildoers, traitors, headstrong, stubborn, haughty. Let's look on in verse five. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. I define this as religion. Holding to a form of godliness, yet denying its power, it, it has no power in the end. The, the word form here means an outward appearance. 
So having an outward appearance of godliness, looking good on the outside, but rotten on the inside. Jesus was talking, and we've been, we've been talking about this in, Mark, in, in, the, in the study of Mark, right? These religious leaders that, that come in and they look so good on the outside, but they're rotten on the inside. Have you ever um, taken a, a delicious looking piece of fruit and you, you bite into it only to find out it's rotten on the inside? What a horrible thing to experience. You, 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 you bite into something thinking that you're getting something and, and you're getting something completely different. Don't be religious. You see, the world will become religious. That's what, that's what he's saying. It, it, it will have this form of godliness, but it won't have any power at all. Be very careful that you, that you don't fall into that. Don't be religious. God wants relationship, relationship with us. He wants relationship with you. He wants to know you and know your heart, your 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 desires, your hurts. So what does it say at the end of this verse? It says, avoid such men as these. Don't even be around them. Stay away from them. They, they look good on the outside, but, but they're, they're trouble. They're hypocrites at the core. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Filled with lust. Lust. That is what this godless culture is all about. Let's look at verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households. They are creepers. Bunch of creeps that come into your house. They are there, they are for of this sort, those who creep into your households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These creepers will, will worm their way into the homes and gain control over unstable women who are guilt-ridden by sin, who are driven by their lusts, Vulnerable to deception. I want, I want you to, ladies, I want you to hear this because I, I think God's speaking to the women in this section. Why? Because the worldliness in the sin, because of those two things, they are weak-willed women not able to discern the truth. They're not able to see what's true and what's not true because they are weak spiritually. And then they give way and, and then they're, they're deceived, deceived. The emphasis is not on gullible, just to let you know. Uh, gullible women, but spiritually immature women that are easily tricked. Be careful. And because of that, they're filled with guilt and with shame 
in that they are deceived and easily moved and deceived. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you're immature spiritually and you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. I want you to know that God wants to set you free. He loves you. He knows you. He knows your heart. He wants to set you free. And all you need to do is cry out to him and say, help me, forgive me. And he's right there. But don't stay in that state any longer. Move on, move into maturity, right? Move into that that state of maturity that, that will cause you to grow. You see, their carnality and their immaturity renders them an easy target, So what does this mean for you ladies? It means to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, to rest in him and walk in his word, to be women of the word, not prideful, but humble, mature in wisdom. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you you strive after? Well, strive hard. Strive hard after that. Matthew 7, verse 15 and 7 says, 15 through 17 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruit. The Bible says, You will know them by the fruit that they bear. So church, we have to be aware of these wolves that come in. They may try to come into your home. They may try to come in and trick you or, or, or deceive you. You must be a good fruit inspector. Is this good fruit? Is this bad fruit? The problem is if you're not spiritually mature, you won't know the difference. You won't know what's good fruit and bad fruit. You're just like, oh, that's, I think that's fruit. And I'll just follow it. Uh, Don't do that. Not too long ago, I I had some people come to my door. And and they began to ask me some spiritual questions. And I was like, oh, I I think I know who you are. But I'm not sure. And, uh, and, and I, I just listened and, and, and began to listen. And they started to share scripture with me. And it sounded really good. It really did from the outside. It sounded really good. And I said, well, can I see your Bible? And he, they said, well, actually, um, this isn't the Bible. Um, uh, it's, it's the Book of Mormon. And I said, oh, you, you, don't, you don't study the Bible? And they said, yeah, we study the Bible. but well, we, we use this book to help us understand it. If anyone tells you it's the Bible and something else, run. Because it's not true. It's the Bible and the Bible only. It's the word of God and the word of God only that we need. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. 
For if you, if he who comes preaching another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So if someone comes and starts preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, run, get away from it. This is what this godless culture will bring you. Be aware. And Paul is saying, Timothy, look for this. Not only right, right in that moment, in that time with, when Timothy was leading that church, but today, even more. Hold on to the word of God, which gives you wisdom to discern all things. Now, verse 8, look at verse 8 with me. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of a corrupt minds, dis, uh, disapproving, disapproved, concerning, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So first of all, we need to ask, who is Janus and Jambres, right? Like, I've never even seen those names. So I did a little search on my, in, in the Bible, and the only place in the Bible that exists is right here. So I was wondering, okay, what, who, is, who are these two characters? Well, they're, they're, not, they're not mentioned in the Old Testament, but, but they're, they're in Jewish tradition, and they're, they're named the two, the two ma- magicians that tried to replicate the plagues of Egypt. Remember when Moses was there and, and he, was, he, he stuck his, his staff in, in the water and turned it into blood. And, and these same two guys, they said, oh, we're going to hoo-la-la and whatever they do. And, and, they, and they tried to do the same thing. And they were able to, to replicate a couple of, of them, but yet... When it got really serious, they couldn't do it. They were counterfeits. They were imposters. They didn't have the power that God had. And that's what he's saying. Paul is saying these corrupt men, Janus and Jambres, were exposed for who they really were. And so will these other creepers that come in in creep into your house, and they will be exposed for their follies as well. Praise the Lord, amen? That justice will come to those that are in the darkness. That there's justice. Yet we don't need to worry about bringing justice. God, that's God's place. Now in verse 10, the focus changes here. It says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, uh, perseverance. What did Jesus, let me ask you a question, what did Jesus tell the disciples when they called, called, called them? He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Paul here, it, Paul here is saying, Timothy, you've done a great job in following me. Paul earlier in 1 Corinthians 11 says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
And Paul is telling Timothy, you've done a good job. You've done well in following me. You have devoted yourself to the word. You, your lifestyle is Jesus. Your purpose in life is Jesus. Your, your faith is in Jesus. Timothy, you've, you've suffered well. Showed, showed to be a patient man. You've loved well and you've been steadfast. Let me ask you a question. How well are you following Jesus? How well are you following? If I were to ask you today, are you a disciple of Christ? I hope we would all say yes. But how well are you following? It's a good question to ask ourselves, huh? I need to ask myself that often. How well am I following? Aren't these great words that Paul speaks about Timothy? Man, you're following well. You're following in these, these things, these characteristics. What would God characterize your following with? Would he say you're faithful? Would he say, man, you've, your, your purpose in life is Jesus? Your, your lifestyle is Jesus? Would he say that of you? Or would he say something different? It's a good question to ask. It moves on in, in verse 11. It says, persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at uh, Antioch and at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, now there's a promise here, isn't there? There's a promise here for all of us, though we do don't like to hear it. We will suffer persecution. If you, let me say this, if you live, I mean live, live for Jesus. If you, if you live your life, you're characterized by Jesus. Your lifestyle is Jesus. I guarantee you, you will suffer persecution. You will experience persecution. Paul experienced persecution in these cities. Now, let me encourage you, if you have never read through the book of Acts, you should. You should read through the book of Acts because it's an awesome book. And in Paul, in, in Acts chapter 14, he's talking about this moment where he gets stoned. He goes into this city called Lystra, called uh, Iconium, and, and, uh, and he, he gets stoned there. And, and they think he's dead. They drag him out of the city and leave him there. And he goes, ah, there, he's dead, right? And then all of a sudden, like Paul gets up. He's like, God gives him strength. He wasn't dead, though they thought he was. And he gets up and he walks back into the town. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's radical. That's the kind of thing that he's saying we should live by. 
Let's look on in verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse in deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things which you have learned and have and, and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul here gets personal with Timothy. He says, Timothy, I, I, want, you to, I want you to continue in. Continue in the things that you've learned. That you've learned from me. That you've learned from the other godly men in your life. That, that you've learned from as you, grow up, as you grew up. He's referring to, to these, uh, this, he says, continue in, in what you know and what you have been taught since you've been a child. He's referring to when he received the Lord, when, when his mother and his grandmother spoke into his life. If, as we get to the end of this, of this book, he, he refers to his mother and his grandmother. Faithful women that have spe- spoken into Timothy's life and caused, them, caused him to grow. He says, don't forget what they said. Don't forget that moment when you received the Lord and you began to grow in the word. Continue in that. Don't forget what, what you know and who brought it to you. You know, I thank God for the godly men in my life who called me on my in- immaturity earlier in, in my life. Called me on my sin. Though it wasn't fun, it was needed. Who were an example to me in the faith, who taught me the truth. You know, one of those men that I value is Pastor Robert here at, at, at the church. Here, here's a man that, that is consistent, who speaks hard things when I need to hear it, and, and, is, and is right there by my side, but just, just kind of there. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not mean or hard, or he's just, he's just, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing in, in your walk with the Lord? And he's a challenge to me. And I, I really appreciate Pastor Robert. There's another man in my life uh, who called me on my compromise. His name is Matt Ellison. And he, I remember there was a time where I was compromising. And he says, your calling, your calling is sure, Sean, yet you're compromising in your calling. You need to stop your compromise and get out of that and move into what God has called you to do. I said, oh God, thank you. Thank you for men like this that call me on my stuff, on my junk. Another man that uh, I, I value, his name is Marcos. He was my assistant pastor in Chihuahua. He was my disciple and my translator uh, down at the church in, in Mexico. And, and here's, here's the value in this guy. I would send him my notes on my teachings every week. 
And he would study my notes. And then he would come to me. And when I had not done that great a job in my study, I would kind of put it in there and then send it off because I didn't have a lot of time. And then, and then he would be like, hey, what, what is this? What is, what, I don't think that's right or that doesn't. And I'd be like, whoa. And I, I, I'd say, man, every time I send these notes, he's going to be like, he's really doing his homework. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I got I to gotta really do my homework now. This is hard. I value men like that. People in my life, my mom. And, and that's, that's what Paul's saying. Continue in the things that you've heard, that you've been taught by, by godly men and women in your life. Continue in that. Don't fall away from it. I thank God for men like this, women like this. So the, the way to resist these evildoers, back in, in verse 13, and these imposters is to continue in what you've been taught. Don't sway don't sway from the truth. Hold on to what you know from the word of God. Not what God has spoken to you, but this right here. Always match it up with the word of God. Hold on to what you've been taught by faithful men and women, but line it up against the word. Always need to do that. Paul here then is referring to, to when uh, Timothy knew the Lord as a, at a young age also. Hold on to what you know, Timothy. That's what he's saying. Because there will be those who will try to derail you, to take you off course, and get you away from the truth. Man, so many times in the New Testament it t- says, beware, don't, don't, be watchful, don't let someone come in and knock you off, off track. You know what's sad though? Is some of you have been in the church ever since you were little. You've known the Lord since you, you've been just a, a young tyke. Yet, you're still spiritually immature. Why? This should not be. It shouldn't be. Yet, yet it is in some of your lives. Paul goes on and says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable, in verse 16, for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul says here, all scripture, New Testament, Old Testament, is given by the inspiration of God. Now, I looked up the word all in, it, in, in the Greek, and, and it means all. Not some, not the verses that you want it to, to be inspired, but all of Scripture is, is inspired by God. Another translation says all Scripture is God-breathed. The literal translation of the Greek means that God breathed out each word. It, and Moses then wrote it down. 
And then God breathed out words and David wrote them down. And God breathed out the words and Paul wrote them down. But the problem with this statement here in, this, in the scripture is that we don't believe it. You might be saying, well, what do you mean, Sean? Well, we live in a spiritual society. Do you believe that? We live in a spiritual society. You look at movies, and they're all spiritual. They're all, they're all about spiritual things, really. Not this kind of spiritual. But spiritual things. Spiritual things are talked about all the time. I turn on the TV, and TV stars or athletes or or movie stars, they, they're like, oh, I just want to thank God, right? You hear that all the time. I just want to thank God. Oh, and I'm wondering, what God are you thanking? What God are you thanking? Because you look at their lives, and it has nothing to do with God. Yet they're thanking God. Because when you look at their lives, it's... It's something else. It's another God. Did you know that in the last Gallup poll, the average home in America has four Bibles. The one that sits up on the shelf that looks really nice, it's got gold lettering on it, and no one's allowed to touch. The one that's in your, in your car that no one cares about, and that the dog every once in a while choose on. And then, and then the list goes on. There, there, there are Bibles everywhere, right? Yet, listen to this, yet three of those 10 people that have Bibles say they, take, they don't take the Bible literally. Three out of the 10 don't take the Bible literally. Hmm. Yet, so they don't believe what it says. That's what it's saying. Yet seven out of the ten people in America say that they are Bible-believing Christians. What? That doesn't make any sense. We're deceived. We don't want to believe be what, what, we don't want to believe what the Word of God says and be accountable to it. That's the problem. You see, the majority of evangelicals today don't know what the Bible says. That's the problem. They don't even know what's in here. And, or they don't believe that the Bible is relevant for them. And so if it's not relevant for their life, then they're not accountable to it. Church, I'm here to tell you tonight, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it, and we're accountable to all of it. We're accountable to all of it. And it is profitable for, for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. This book is not a book of suggestions. It's a book that has been inspired by God and he calls us to love it and obey it. To love it and obey it. Now, if I were to tell you, it, I, have some, I, I have something you can profit in tonight. 
I, I have something for all of you to profit in tonight, and I'm going to have a meeting afterwards up in the upper room. How many of you would come because, because we all want to profit in something, right? Like, oh, ooh, where, what is it? What are we going to profit in? Like, what do you got, Sean? Like, what, what's going to be at this meeting? Yet, the Bible tells us, says his word is profitable. Profitable. For doctrine, mean, meaning set, a set of beliefs given by God, not by man, but by God, teaching us truth. That's what that is. And, and then for reproof. It's profitable for reproof, for teaching us what is wrong, to teach us, to show us what is wrong. We read it and and it says, oh, it convicts our hearts and shows us the mirror of ourself. And it says, man, Sean, you're wrong here. And then then it's good for, for correction, for teaching us how to fix what is wrong. Then it shows us, here's how you fix it. Here, here, this is what you do. You, you, you repent and, and you come close to the Lord and, and you turn away from these things and you, you take on and you put on these godly things and, and you begin to move into those things. And then it says, and for instruction for, for godliness, teaching us how to maintain what is right. Why should we do all this? Verse 17, and last verse as we close up, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. That we would be complete. Paul is telling Timothy, all you need, bro, all you need in life is the word of God. Timothy, all you need, don't be deceived. All you need in life is the word of God. I'm telling you tonight, all you need is the word of God. I'm telling myself this because I need to hear this as well. All I need is the word of God. It will complete me. You know that famous saying in the movie? You complete me, right? You know, how many of you, you know what I'm talking about? Jerry Maguire. So you, he, there's this moment and it's like, he, she says, you complete me. No, you don't. <laughs> God completes you. God completes you. He's the one that completes you. How many of you want to be completed? What a, that's a, such a good word, isn't it? Like, ah, I'm complete. Man, I wish I could arrive to that moment. I'm complete, Lord. If we stay in the word of God, if we remain in his word, it will complete you. It will complete you. Yet the question I have for you as we close is this. Do you believe this? What we just read. That the, God, the word of God is inspired, it's, it's the inspired word of God. It is God's words to us and that it's profitable to, to us. Because if it, if, if it really was profitable to you, 
and you really, really believed it, you'd probably be acting maybe a little differently. Maybe I would act a little differently if I really believed it the way I'm speaking of it tonight. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God's word will profit you? If so, dig in. If so, obey it. If so, put it into practice. Do you believe that God's word will complete you? If so, rest in it. Remain in it. Trust it. Do you believe that God's word will equip you for every good work? Then saturate yourself in it so that you're ready for every work that comes your way. I remember I was a part, I, I had this job and, and I was supposed to be ready for this position and I went in and I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I, I kind of went in and acted like I, I knew what I was doing, but everybody kind of knew like, what are you doing? <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't equipped for this job. And it was the worst feeling. I was just like turning red all day and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. We want to be equipped. Man, God's word says you will be equipped for every good work. So let's do it. There's my challenge to you. Let's do it. Let's follow the Lord with all of our heart. Let's, let's be good followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, this challenge. Lord, we've looked at this godless culture in the last days. And Lord, would you help us continue being faithful to you? Would you con- help us continue to love you? God, we need you more than ever before. Lord, as, as, as we were going through this section of scripture tonight, Lord, I know that you were bringing conviction and you were exposing sin in people's lives because, Lord, that's what you do. And Lord, as we go into communion tonight, Lord, would you have your way with my heart? Would you have your way with our hearts, Lord? Some of you need to just recommit to the Lord right now, just saying, Lord, I, I, need, to, I need to trust your word more. I need to be in your word more. I need to, I need to really believe that it's going to profit me while I'm in it. I need to follow you better, Lord. I need to be a faithful follower and not, in, uh, not immature spiritually anymore. If that's you, just cry out to the Lord right where you're at. And to know that God's grace is there for you. But don't remain in that place. Find God's grace at, 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 the, at the communion table as you come. Say, Lord, I've, I've missed it. God, I want to be in your word more. God, I want to love you more. I need to remain in you as you come forward 
and you take communion. Just take it back to your chair and just, and just do business with the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge tonight. How you've brought life to us through it. How you've ch- convicted our hearts in areas that need conviction. And you've changed us through the power of your spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.